0: Welcome to Deconstructing Yourself, the podcast for metamodern mutants interested in meditation, hardcore dharma, neuroscience, the secrets of the whales, zogchen, Mahamudra, awakening, and much more. My name is Michael Taft, your host on the podcast, and this is one of those solo episodes that I release from time to time. This episode is essentially rant, a topic that comes up in my work with people on a daily basis, often several times a day become such a common concern that I just felt like it's time for me to offer my thoughts about it in public. And so I'm doing that here today. If nothing else, I hope that it contributes at least a little bit to the ongoing conversation. And now without further ado, I give you the episode that I call Spiritual Bypassing and the Spiritual Friend. Today I just want to do a short-form podcast, not a long interview, this is just going to be me ranting about a topic, and the topic today is spiritual bypassing. Hardly a day goes by when I'm not asked a question about this topic, or when I'm describing a meditation technique, someone nods sagely and says, oh yeah, spiritual bypassing possible there, and so on. So it's a big idea. People are very, very interested in the idea of spiritual bypassing and concerned about it and on the lookout for it, which is good. You know, nothing wrong with that. Before we dive into what I want to say about it, though, let's just define it. If I look at Wikipedia, I just went to Wikipedia, and it has a page on spiritual bypassing, and it uses a quote from a paper called The Straight Path to Healing – the lead author is Philip Clark. And the quote says, spiritual bypassing is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. And I thought that was a pretty good definition. So you're using your spiritual practices or ideas to not do your work, to kind of avoid all the stuff inside you that's hard to work on. And so, in general, I agree with that definition, but I would say it's a little wider these days. The way it's used is slightly wider than that. It includes everything we just said, the unresolved emotional issues, the psychological wounds, the unfinished developmental tasks, but also even problems in life. Just using your spiritual ideas and practices to avoid mowing the lawn or whatever, to avoid stopping terrible addiction or something. So it's not just internal psychological stuff, but let's say also external problems as well. That's what the bypass is. There's a problem or difficulty internally with our emotions or psychology, or there's a problem externally with other people or just the real world. And we're using our spirituality or our meditation practice or our ideas about spirituality or meditation practices to just bypass around that to avoid it and not deal with it. And so, of course, this is a huge issue, and it's something that we definitely need to look out for. So, let's just start off there and say that's what spiritual bypassing is, and it's an important thing to be on the lookout for and to not do. But my rant here today about spiritual bypassing is, let's just talk about it in a metaphor. Let's say I am going to give you a pen to write with. You need to write, you have paper, you have things you wanna say, but you've been trying to scratch your ideas into the paper with your hands or smudging it using some charcoal or something. And I'm like, look, I've got this beautiful pen. Hear that pen? What a nice pen. Here's a pen you can use this to write on the paper. And I feel like, In this extended metaphor, the first thing I hear from so many people is, oh, I heard that you can use that pen to stab your eyes out. And what do you have to say about that, Michael? I mean, can't I use this pen to stab my eyes out? And my response in this ridiculous metaphorical example would be, yes, indeed, it's the truth that you could stab your eyes out with that pen. So don't do that. And that's basically the end of the discussion. You know? Yeah, it's a super useful tool. You could use it in this really ridiculous, destructive way. So don't do that. End of story. Or, you know, it's the same with fire, right? You know, Prometheus steals the fire from the gods. I guess I'm putting myself in the role of Prometheus here, but we'll just go with it. In the example, it's like Prometheus steals fire from the gods And says, here, humans, we can be warm around the campfire. We can be warm in winter. We can have cooked food. We have this stolen treasure from the gods. And the first thing everyone asks and wants to focus on is, but couldn't we burn ourselves? Couldn't we burn our fingers? Couldn't we burn our house down? And again, yes, you can do that if you, you know, aren't careful and if you want to, but don't. Don't do that. But let's get back to all the cool stuff we can do with this fire or with this pen. And so I feel like this when I'm talking with people about these meditation techniques, which are so useful and so helpful and provide such benefits. It's almost absurd that people are so aware of spiritual bypassing that that becomes the whole conversation. In fact, they will just say, isn't that technique just spiritually bypassing? They won't even put it in terms of, well, couldn't I use that theoretically to spiritual bypass? They're like, isn't that technique just spiritual bypassing? That's like asking, isn't that ballpoint pen simply an eye removal device? And the mood of the question is sort of like, come on, I can see what you're really talking about here, and it's an eye removal device. No, it's not. There's tremendously good things you can do with it. You can use your meditation practice to improve your life. You can use your meditation practice to simply gain awakening or realize your already existing awakening. You can use your practice to help the lives of those around you in tremendously powerful and beautiful ways. And yes, if you notice that you are thinking about using it in a way that's going to avoid internal problems that need to be dealt with or external problems to be dealt with, don't do that. Because that is exactly the opposite of what that practice is for. That's really all I got to say about it. Just don't use it that way. And if someone is really pointing out that they think you're using your practice that way, then I would reflect very carefully on whether I am or not. If someone came and sincerely said to me, Michael, I think you're using your practice to spiritually bypass in this particular situation, I would definitely take a moment and look into that because that would be a bad thing to do. But of course, this is not what these practices are meant to be for and furthermore, it's a heinous misuse of the practice. They're meant to do the opposite. They're meant to help us to dig into our internal issues and work with them. They're meant to help us dig into our external issues and help to work those out. To focus on the bypassing part, an even more extreme example I run into every once in a while is the idea that meditation, or spirituality, or spiritual practices, are nothing but spiritual bypassing. And that the only purpose is to avoid life and avoid problems. And again, you could certainly do that, but don't. Just don't use it that way, and be very, very careful about examining your behavior, examining your motivations, so that you don't use it that way. And that's the end of the story, It's not like your spiritual practice or your meditation practice has to be this big, seductive temptation that's sitting there, ooh, wouldn't you just like to use this to spiritually bypass? I mean, I don't think it often works like that. I think in people who use their spiritual practice to spiritually bypass, which I have done in the past, of course, there's a desire already there to avoid. And in some ways, It's no different than the desire to use, let's say, alcohol to avoid your problems. You know, you walk into any grocery store and there's a huge wall of liquor available. And it's certainly the case that you can buy that and drink it in such a way that you never deal with any of your emotional problems. And you never even deal with your real world external problems. And, you know, you lose your relationship and your children won't talk to you and you lose your job. And then you're a street person because of your use of alcohol to bypass all your problems. This is not spiritual bypassing. This is just bypassing. And what's the answer to this heinous problem? The answer is, yeah, don't do that. Don't use that substance in that way. That's very damaging. And it's important to know that we can do that, but it's also important to understand that even in the case of a substance like that, just the fact that it can be used in that way doesn't mean the substance shouldn't exist or is inherently all about bypassing or something. So I think I've made this point clearly enough, but I'll just say it again. The answer to the problem of spiritual bypassing is, hey, don't do that. And if you notice you're doing it, stop doing that immediately. Your spiritual practices are there to help you wake up to your issues and help you do something about them, whether they're internal or external or both. These practices are not there to avoid those issues, and if you're using them that way, stop doing that. Now, it's a legitimate concern to say, Michael, it's so easy for you to say to just don't do it, but there's a lot of things that people have trouble not doing or they don't have enough self-control to not do it. And of course, as I said, that's legitimate. But in that case, go get help. Go get the help to not do the spiritual bypassing. Work with someone who can help you not do that. But either way, the idea is the same, which is do whatever you have to do to not spiritually bypass. I think the thing that's so perverse here is that there's this sense that there's something really dangerous and potentially harmful in your spiritual practice that is special to that practice. It reminds me of the talk around jhana practice, which of course, you know, if you go into the original suttas, the Buddha is talking about doing jhanas constantly. You know, jhana is the way. And yet lots of modern meditation practitioners or Buddhist teachers will tell you that there's this huge danger of getting, quote, addicted to your jhana practice and then never getting awakened because the jhanas are so seductive and wonderfully delicious that you're going to get addicted and sidetracked and then you'll never wake up. And so you should like be careful and maybe never do the jhanas. And this is just patently absurd. The jhanas are tremendously helpful, deep, beautiful meditation practices that have everything going for them. I mean, I cannot recommend them highly enough. It's a beautiful practice. And yet, to hear some people talk, there's this tremendous danger of addiction. I mean, I've never seen a single jhana-addicted practitioner in my life it's a complete straw man. There are no jhana addicts, as far as I can tell. There are people who are really good at their jhana practice and who really like it, but they also, of course, go on to do vipassana and to do vipassana extremely well, by the way, because of their jhana practice. So it's not like the jhanas are just, you know, an excuse to like lay around and take drugs or something (laughs) and become an addict. And if you notice that you're doing too much jhana practice, whatever that is, let's say, you know, years are going by and you're never getting around to doing the vipassana, well, don't do that. Do some vipassana. The problem is very easy to solve. And I think it's a very similar thing with the idea of spiritual bypassing. Although I will say, unlike the mythical jhana-addicted practitioner, Practitioners who are spiritually bypassing is very common. But again, the cure is just don't do that. And I would say this is where the idea of the spiritual friend or meditation buddy comes in very, very handy. Because it is true that sometimes it's hard to see our own mistakes or to notice where we're getting off track. And so it's really important to have either a friend or even a professional, like a therapist or something who is there to help you to see where you're spiritually bypassing, perhaps. And, you know, that's just always been the case since the beginning of time. Having a good friend who's willing to say the hard things that you don't want to hear when you don't want to hear them is really, really useful. It's just like the friend who might say, "Uh, hey man, like, You need to cool it out with all the alcohol you're wrecking your life, you know, or maybe you should stop stabbing yourself in the eye with that pen in the same way your meditation buddy or your spiritually informed friend should feel invited to bust you when you're doing this sort of stuff. It's really important because we do have a hard time seeing what we don't want to see, or looking into our own shadow, or noticing where we're doing something kind of self destructive, or notice where we're doing something that's damaging to ourselves or others in a way that is kind of unconscious. And of course, our spiritual practice is all about overcoming this kind of unconsciousness. So, in almost every spiritual tradition I can think of, there's the idea of the spiritual friend, not the teacher necessarily, but usually more like a peer, someone with whom you share your practice and they share their practice back with you and you discuss what you're doing and what's working and what's not working and how it's affecting your lives. And they do the same with you, right? It's a back and forth kind of sharing between equals. And there needs to be tremendous openness there to hearing criticism, and that needs to be okay, and in fact encouraged. Not criticism in just a tearing someone down way, but of course constructive, helpful criticism, pointing out of potential mistakes, or even just bringing up the questions, these difficult questions for examination. The spiritual friend, the anamkara, is a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. Uh, Interesting historical note. In the Christian tradition, the anamkara, which is Gaelic for the spiritual friend, the soul friend, anam is soul, developed in Ireland. Anamkara is Irish or Gaelic. And it's what, over time, eventually became the spiritual confessor. When you, in the Catholic tradition, confess your sins to a priest, That tradition evolved out of the idea of having a soul friend in early Christianity in Ireland. It's very, very fascinating. It turned into something pretty different, right? Father, forgive me for I have sinned. That's not an open conversation between equals about both of their spiritual practice. But it did start out that way. I just find that really fascinating. In any case, if you don't have a meditation buddy or you don't have a spiritual friend, I suggest taking a few actions to... See if you can't find someone to talk to in that way. Again, one way you can do it is with a therapist, and that's not exactly equals, and that's not exactly two-way sharing. It's pretty one-way sharing, but it's still very, very helpful, and the fact that they're a professional and work with a lot of people in this way is, of course, a real benefit. But another thing you can do is get involved in a sangha or get involved in an online meditation group or an online spiritual discussion group, Then as you kind of meet more and more people there, eventually you'll find someone whose practice and way of talking about practice and way of engaging their own spirituality kind of resonates with your own. They speak your language. And even if you don't know that much about each other in terms of your lives, even if you live on different continents and so on, there can be a true benefit to having such a spiritual friend. There was a friend of mine that I knew in college. We're about five years apart, and so he was pretty young. But we connected a few times in a really deep way before I graduated from college and left to go to Japan. And a few years went by, and when I came back, I was hanging out with him and talking, and it seemed like we even had more in common. It just got more interesting. And over time, we ended up being in the same Hindu tantric spiritual tradition together, and then we ended up traveling to India together on long spiritual pilgrimages and practicing together and so on. And this person became my deep spiritual friend, my Anamkara, and he in fact still is. As our friendship grew and our understanding of each other deepened, we even started what we called, quote, the group, the group of two where we would meet once a week and not only talk about our spiritual practice, but talk about our goals in life and our psychological practices and our relationships with our partners and really what we were trying to do in life. And that became an ongoing tradition for, I think it went on very solidly for about 12 years. And my spiritual buddy now is completing his PhD in psychology and is in charge of a huge facility and I'm a meditation teacher and our lives have really grown and changed over all these many years. But that experience of having a real anamkara, having a real soul friend, someone with whom I can share my spiritual practice and share even my psychological practices or concerns and concerns about my life and with whom I'm actively engaging over decades, really, that has been one of the most valuable experiences of my life. And there's been so many times where one or the other of us have pointed out something uncomfortable or difficult or contradictory or maybe unhealthy about the other person's behavior or or maybe just asked a question about an area that seems maybe to be a blind spot or something. And you know, there's always a little bit of discomfort with that. And yet, when my spiritual friend Morgan has done that, has offered such insights to me sometimes, you know, it's just like anything with an uncomfortable insight. I may be like, no, 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 you're full of shit. What are you talking about? But over the years, you know, we learn and eventually I learned to trust that and to trust his insight and to at least genuinely shine the light of awareness into the area that he's talking about and to see what I think is really going on there, and to see if what he's saying is going on there is what is in fact going on there. And I think he feels the same way about the insights I offer to him. It's not that they're always right, but they're always worth hearing. That's a real spiritual friend. I think it's just so fascinating, you know, we started out this journey together when I was in my early 20s, and I think Morgan was even you know, still like 18 or something. We're very, very young, and here we are, guys in our 50s, and still have this really deep and meaningful friendship, this spiritual friendship that is so helpful. So I would say wherever you're at, wherever you're at in life, wherever you're at with your spiritual practice, See if you can't find a spiritual friend, someone to talk to about your practice, someone to listen to about their practice, someone to share with and to talk about ideas, kick ideas around, talk about goals, talk about how you're doing, what you're doing, and really start to learn about each other and learn what you're doing and see if you can't benefit from each other's knowledge, each other's wisdom, and each other's friendship. The spiritual friend. So that's my little rant about spiritual bypassing and also the idea of finding a spiritual friend or a meditation buddy. That's it for this episode of Deconstructing Yourself.